All right, we're doing it. Be rich, branches. Uh, maybe the best time of year. I don't know. I, I think it's. I think it's good because I like. I like challenge. I like pushing on myself, and I like pushing on other people. Uh, not. And I don't want you to look at any of this because I want you to do it. I'm just taking stuff from the Bible, and, and like I said before, make it clear, I didn't write any of it. So you know, don't shoot the messenger. They already did that to Jesus, and didn't go very well. So anyway. Um, but yeah, so during the series, I, I, I'm going to push on you guys because I think it's important. I think it's important. Like I said, we're, we're partnering with uh, local nonprofits who are doing a good work in our community. This is like our uh, like probably fifth year in a row doing this. So much good. I don't have total numbers, but I know last year we gave around, or you gave, around $20,000 uh, to go over three weeks uh, to go to these three nonprofits. And so I, I think that's incredible. There was also a lot of, uh, of service hours given as well uh, during the serve portion. We'll talk more about that next week. Although if you do go to the Be Rich uh, page at branches.tv, you will see that uh, there are some places that you can sign up to give and there is, or sorry, serve, and there is a serving opportunity uh, this week. So if you have some time, uh, I think it's the middle of the day, Tuesday uh, at noon. And so we're helping decorate for the Christmas decorations here uh, in the community. So that's the first one you can get. We'll be talking about that more next week. There'll be serve opportunities as well. But today we're talking about giving uh, which is never really super comfortable for anybody. But I think as Jesus people, if you are a Jesus person, um, it should be. It should be. Um, because we understand that as Jesus people, we don't actually own anything. That we, what we have in our time and our talent and our treasure, those are simply resources that we are stewards of. Um, and so we shouldn't hold them too closely to our chest because they're not ours. And so why do that? Um, so it's, it's an incredible Incredible opportunity, I think, again, like I said, to, as a local church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the community in super tangible ways. And, and beyond that, um, we see in Scripture this command uh, from Paul to Timothy, who was leading a church in Ephesus. And he wrote this. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Command those who are rich in this present world. So I want you to think to yourself for a second, does this apply to me? Command those who are rich in this present world. And again, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to push on you today. Uh, if you're not a Jesus person, you don't call branches home, um, then, then, you know, none of this really applies to you. Uh, so you just, you know, just see how it, the inner workings of the church and all that kind of stuff today. Uh, you're welcome to look at that. Don't, don't feel like I'm trying to take your money on the way out of here today. Um, that's not what this is about. So if you are a Jesus person and branches is your home, then that's exactly what I'm doing. So just also make that clear. <laughs> Command those who are rich in this present world. Is that you? Command those who are rich in this present world to do this, to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous, and to be willing to share. So it's like, well, if I'm rich in this present world, then I, I got to do these things. And so if you're smart, you'd probably be like, well, hey, I'm not feeling very rich today. I'm not rich. You are. You are. You're rich. Why, why do I say that? Well, look at this. Uh, the world median income, $2,900 a year. 2920. I don't want to shortchange anybody 20 bucks, but 2920 is the world median income per year. That's not per month, that's not per week, that's per year. Any stat majors, what does this median word mean? It's not the average. It's not the average. It's the middle number. Eight billion people roughly in our world. That means there's four billion people 
in our world who live off of less than $2,900 and 20, or yeah, whatever, $2,900 a year. Four billion people that live on less than $2,900 per year. So again, don't wanna make assumptions, but if you're on the higher end of that, you're in the other four billion and you are, you're rich, you're rich. We are rich. Remember Paul said, command those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous and to be willing to share. In fact, this, is, this number baffles me even more, maybe. Uh, the top 1% of earners in the world, $60,000 a year. Whew. Top 1% of earners in the world. Now, are you rich? Are you rich? You know, it's interesting. In the United States, we, we, we have something that's foreign to a lot of the world, and it's called disposable income. Disposable income. What do you spend... What do you buy with disposable income? Starbucks. Yeah, I get coffee. Coffee's great, though. I love coffee. I drink it every day. Um, but we, you would, you, despite popular belief, you would not die if you didn't drink coffee. It's not actually a necessity. Everything would suck, but you wouldn't die. You could survive. Disposable income was what we spend on our subscriptions, you know, Spotify, Disney Plus, you know, FUBU, whatever, like your, your uh, FUBO, your uh, YouTube TV account, like all those things. It's, it's what you go do fun things with, you know, things that you could live without, you'd rather not, but you do. It's what we, you know, we, we waste it all the time. I could go through the gambit of all the things that we waste money on. And we have this thing called disposable income, and that's, that's not everywhere. Not everybody in the world has disposable income. It's a very unique thing uh, to Western civilizations and first world countries, uh, not so much in the rest of the world. Now, I went to Ethiopia a couple weeks ago. Most people there do not have disposable income. But it's interesting, I witnessed a, a culture that was very generous and willing to share. But what I saw that was so interesting, and it kind of like, it really got in my heart. It's like when they give, oftentimes, it doesn't mean that they don't get coffee that day. It doesn't mean that they don't get like their Disney Plus for the month or whatever. It means they're giving of basic needs oftentimes. They're giving of things that if they give, they will go without. And not just without, you know, the, the fluff and the things that we add, the disposable income items. It's going without food. It's going without water. It's going without things. And they give and they still find time to give. So again, uh, as, as Americans, as Christian Americans, you know, uh, we should be generous, right? I think Christians should be some of the most generous people in the world, especially American Christians. Because like we fit that criteria that Paul's talking about to Timothy, who are rich in this present world. We have excess. What are we going to do with that excess? Yet oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this too, Whenever it comes time to give, giving hurts sometimes. It doesn't really hurt, but it kind of like it superficially hurts oftentimes. It's like, ah, no, that's my, I'd rather hold on to that. Like, we don't want to do it. And, and so I would, I, I would I identify with this question too at different times in my life. But you may ask, well, like I, I'm a Jesus person and I'm an American, but I don't feel generous. So what if I'm here today and fit all that criteria, but I don't feel generous? I think that's a real question, and we're going to jump into that today. I'm going to take you back to a story 
It's a little obscure, and there's reason for that. I'm not just trying to sound smart by pulling out weird, obscure Bible stories or whatever. It's, it's significant. But I want to take you back to the time. Uh, there was a guy named Abraham. How many of you guys know Abe? My boy. God started his uh, redemption plan for humanity through this man, Abraham. And he came to him and he, he bound himself to him with a covenant. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I promise that the, all the nations in the world will be blessed through you and your, your name will be great. Your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. He makes this great promise to Abraham. And of course, Abraham's waiting throughout his life for even a glimpse of this promise and nothing's happening. And he gets to be like 100 years old and he still hasn't had a kid yet. He's like, how am I supposed to be a great nation if he probably didn't even know what a nation was? They didn't really have them back then, but what, is, what does that even mean? And I don't even have a single descendant. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to like, have outnumbering the stars in the skies, like amount of grandkids and great-grandkids? Like, it's not making any sense, God. And God performs a miracle you know, through his wife, Sarah, and they have his son named Isaac. And what a beautiful, beautiful story, but we're not even talking about that today. Isaac... Um, you know, he's inheriting this promise and the, it's going through his bloodline. He has twins. And uh, his twins, their names are Jacob and Esau. Actually, if we're going by birth order, it's Esau and then it's Jacob. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic because um, back then, it meant everything that you were the firstborn. Like everything. You were getting the lion's share of the inheritance. They called it the birthright. You were, and in this context, through Abraham being Abraham's seed, going through that, they were going to inherit a blessing. It's God's blessing going through them. Right? So this was the firstborn. But you're a twin, so it's like, who, who's really the firstborn? You beat me by like a minute and a half. Are you kidding me? So I'm going to miss out on all that stuff. And so Esau comes out first. And Jacob comes out a quick second, close second. And they grow up kind of with this interesting dynamic. And as they get older, they couldn't be more different from each other. Esau is a man's man. He's got red hair. He's got, he's got like hairy arms. He's like outdoorsy type. He's going, he's going and doing all the hunting and the fishing and the gathering and all that kind of stuff. And Jacob, in a stark contrast, he's the baby of the family. Where are my babies at? Baby, family babies? You're the youngest in your family? No one wants to raise their hand because you know I'm about to make fun of them. I'm the second oldest of five. Second oldest of five. I was far from the baby. I was a trial child. You know, my parents are figuring everything out with me. And I won. I don't know. I made, it, I made it really difficult. Gave them a run for their money. But look, my youngest sister, who's Mary, her name's Mary. Uh, she's not here right now, so I'm going to talk about her. She's probably watching online. I hope you better be Mary. She was a baby of the family. And I remember growing up, and she drove me crazy. She's got this smug little smile. Even as a child, like a little baby, I'm like, you are so smug. She was smug. She got away with everything. She got away with everything. And she was a much better kid than me in general. But still, I remember when she was in high school, and I'd go over to my mom's and dad's house, and I'd be like, how does Mary get away with this? Like, I would never, you guys would have, I would, my, yeah, I would have been spanked. I would have been, been grounded. I would have been like everything. And Mary's just like, I'm the perfect child. And that's the baby of the family. This was Jacob. This was Jacob, right? So, you know, there's probably a little animosity there. He's hanging out with mom all day. Definitely mom's favorite. Esau's out there doing the real work. He comes home one day. And he's hungry. Jacob so happens to be like making a stew with his mom. And so there's this great smell of like, oh, there's food. And Esau comes home and he's famished. He's hungry. He's like ready for something to eat. And he's like, give me some of that soup. Jacob's like, fine, I'll give you some of the soup. But you got to give me your birthright for a bowl of soup. 
My friend Stan, um, he hates soup. He's in here today too. He talks about soup all the time, about how it's not a real meal. It's like an additive to a meal, but a soup in and of itself. So there's this great debate going on. Is, is soup a meal? I would consider, you know, someone trading their birthright for like a great steak dinner, you know, some like good barbecue or something like that. But for a bowl of soup, are you kidding me? Esau, what's wrong with you? And he does it. He trades for some momentary thing. And by the way, he says, he says like, you know, what good is this birthright to me if I'm dead? If you have the energy to articulate that statement, you're not dying of hunger. Like you're not there yet. You got some time. You got some time, right? But he, he turns it over. And you think about it, it's like, who in their right mind would give up the, the, the blessing of this huge promise, this, this birthright, all this, this promise for the future, for a momentary self-gratification? And that's another message for another day. But just think about that. That's kind of wild, right? So he trades his birthright to his, his brother Jacob. So he's taken one thing, a little conniving, a little baby of the family punk, takes that from his brother. Some time goes on, and if that, if, as if that wasn't enough, his mom definitely favored him. And so they come together, and, and they figure out how they're going to steal the blessing that Isaac, their father, is going to give. Now, Isaac's old at this point, like old, old, not just like, uh, you know, I'm feeling old, old. He's like, his, his, his vision's going, his hearing's going, like everything's just kind of going. He's on his deathbed, getting close to the end. And Jacob finds out a way to, to make himself smell like him, to make himself feel like him, puts goat skin on his arm, and he goes in there and swindles his brother out of his blessing. And then he runs. His brother's mad. You can understand. A little bit of frustration there, the older brother at that point. So he goes, and he goes in the desert, and he goes out, gets married. This whole story continues, um, but I don't want to touch on that too much. But 20 years go by. What happens over 20 years of someone who just like totally like <laughs> took you to the cleaners, right? You're not like each and every day, like being able to forgive normally, like, ah, you know, I'm just working on this thing. Maybe he meant well in all this, taking all this stuff from me. It's like, no, he's sitting there with his 10 goats and he's like, my brother got a, a thousand goats and I just got these 10 goats. And every time I just see my 10 stupid goats, they're not even like the healthy ones, right? And you're just like, Mm, that brother of mine, 20 years of this simmering anger, I mean, bitterness. You talk about roots of bitterness, like it's all got to be there at this time, we would think. Right? I mean, that's what Jacob deserves after all. What a little punk. My goodness. So time goes by, 20 years goes by. God tells Jacob, he's like, hey, it's time to go home. Go back. What does this mean for Jacob? We'll pick up that story here in uh, Genesis 33, verse 1 says this, then Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming, 400 men. <laughs> That's terrifying. My goodness, the guy that you're afraid of already, who you're, you know, like, you know he's mad at you, got 400 people on his side. He's got his boys with him. He's ready for like a good butt kicking, right? And in Jacob's mind, he's like, oh shoot, this is gonna get bad. So he divided his children among Leah, Rachel, his servants. So he, he took his servant wives and he puts them up front, right? And he takes his ugly wife and he puts her kind of in the middle with her kids. And then he takes his like favorite wife and he's like, I'm gonna hold this close to my chest because I really love this. And it's like, what's going on here, Jacob? And he put his servant wife and says, yeah, right. So Joseph and Rachel were last because they were his favorite. And so they're kind of holding, he's holding them near and dear. And I think there's an interesting parallel. This isn't my point today, but I think it's an interesting parallel too, because when we come before God, oftentimes we hold that which is closest to us, you know, to, tight to the chest. 
We're like, we want a nice buffer between us and him. It's like, is he safe? Is, what is he going to do with that stuff? It's like we'll give up of, of like little peripheral things in our life to him, but not the things that are closest to us. And I'm here to tell you today, like, that's a mistake. God wants all of you. And it's good. It's good. It's for your benefit. Right? So those things that we hold too close to the chest, oftentimes, that's not a good thing. We shouldn't be doing that. And this is exactly what Jacob is doing here. We do that with our money and our time, certainly. We hold it close. We're like, yeah, you can take all the other things first, but maybe leave these alone. Anyway, verse three goes on. Jacob went ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times. This is like what you do if like a king was coming your way. Like he's bowing, like, please, like find favor in me. Please don't kill me. Please don't do what is deserved to happen to me. Please don't be, give me justice. I don't need justice today. I need mercy, right? So he's like bowing to him and, and Esau pulls out his sword and he cuts his brother's head off. Like it's crazy. You guys aren't laughing. That didn't happen. But let's just be clear. That's what he deserved, right? That's what Jacob deserves. He deserves punishment. He deserves justice in this. And we see something that's interesting. It says in verse 4 that Esau, he ran to meet him and he embraced him. He goes up and gives him a big hug. You're like, what are you doing? He threw his hands, he threw his arms around his neck, not in like a ringing neck way, but in an embracing way. He hugs him and he kisses him and they weep together. You're like, what? How? Like, what is this? What is this thing that he gets what he didn't deserve? Like, what is that? And then when I read this account, I, I, I so like go to the, the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells, the, the parable of the prodigal son where he, he, he shares a story about a man who had two sons and the youngest son comes to him and he's like, hey, uh, dad, I wish you were as good as dead. And he takes his inheritance now and he goes and blows it on prostitutes, wild living and partying. And guess what? Shocker, he hits rock bottom after that, right? And he realizes at this point of rock bottom, he's like, you know, even the servants in my father's household, like they have it better than me. And he goes, he's like, maybe he would take me back as just a servant, a slave, something. Like, it's got to be better than it is here. And he shows up, and instead of getting justice from his father, he gets mercy from his father as his father embraces him, hugs him, hooks him up, gives him new shoes, gives him a ring for his finger, a robe, all this stuff, and he restores him to his sonship because of his humility. And you're like, what is that? I mean, what is that that Esau's showing Jacob here? It's grace right? It's, it's unmerited favor. It's definitely not what he deserved, but he gave it to him anyway. And this is significant. This is huge. That Esau looked at the women and the children around him. He says, who are these people with you? And Jacob gets a chance to say, you know, again, this is hard. He's like, these are the children that God has graciously given me, your servant. He's like, these are all the things that I've gotten because I'm the blessed one. I'm the one who stole your birthright. Look at all these great things that I have. The servant wives came forward with their children and they bowed before him. Next, Leah and her children, they go and do the same. Finally, Joseph and Rachel, they came and they bow before him too. Everything that he has and holds dear goes and bows before him. It's almost like he's offering them up, right? He's like showing them too. Like they're here. If you're going to kill them or whatever, you're going to take them. They're there. And then Esau turns and he looks at the, the inheritance that he received, the birthright, all of the, the stuff, the fluff. He says, and what are all these flocks and herds? Like, what are these? This has got to be a vulnerable spot for Jacob because he's like, you kind of know what they are. Like, it's all the stuff that I got that you didn't, right? Esau asked him, like, what, what, is, what is all this? What's all this stuff? 
Jacob replies with something, and Jacob still doesn't get it at this point. He replies like this. He says, they are a gift of my Lord. They are a gift to what? Ensure your friendship. They're a gift to ensure your friendship. Is this right? I don't know. This doesn't sit well with me. So I feel like this is often how we give, and even Jesus people, I'm guilty of this at times, where we give so we can get. You don't say that, but kind of you do, right? You give so that you can receive. You give uh, publicly. Oftentimes you're like, I want to give to the things that, you know, people will see that I'm giving to them. You know, it's like, I love GoFundMe. GoFundMe is great, but it kind of, it's kind of ironic sometimes in GoFundMe. And I'm not saying to everybody who does this, I, I've just clicked through and done it before and given money to causes and left my name on there. But I'm like, I, I want to be the anonymous guy. Again, this isn't like a blanket statement for everybody, but for me, it's like, I want to be the anonymous guy. I don't want to be the person to be like, oh, well, look, Timmy gave, you know, $300 or whatever, so everybody can see Timmy gave $300. It's kind of an interesting thing. And we do that with our, with our I think more so with our, with our time, when we give of our time. And I've seen this as branches being a volunteer organization. Love all our volunteers. But it's way easier to get volunteers for people, things that are public and things that are upfront, things that are like everybody sees them. Not the, not the cleaning toilets throughout the week, you know, the dirty work, the hands-on stuff that nobody sees. Like those people that do that, the, the thankless jobs, let's call them, those are my favorite people in the world. They're humble, beautiful servants. Those people are my favorite. And I think as Jesus people, that's how we're called to give. Not that there's not room for, you know, upfront things. It's not about, the, it's not about what you give. As, as Jesus people, we have to understand it's, 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 it's the fact that we're giving. It doesn't matter that we get anything from it. That's the focus, that we are to give regardless of what we get back. And I think there's so many blessings for Jesus people that give generously. But we're not talking about that today. We don't give so that we can get. And so I think this giving, this idea of giving is so easily twisted. And Jesus talks about it in the New Testament and all this stuff. Don't give publicly and, and you know, ringing a bell saying, hey, look how much money I gave. In fact, he, he draws attention to the, the widow who gives, you know, just a little bit of money because that's all that she had. She gave so no one would look. It doesn't matter. It wasn't about that. It was about her giving. It wasn't about what she gets back or who sees it or anything like that. And I think we should take that approach as Jesus people. And so Jacob here still doesn't get it. He's giving so he can get something in return to ensure the friendship of his brother, to buy grace so he can receive, you know, not what he deserves in justice, but he would receive grace. So it's still a little bit skewed here, but let's continue the story. He says, my brother, Esau said, my brother, I have plenty. I have plenty. Keep what you have for yourself. And I think if we're paralleling this, it's an imperfect parallel. If we're paralleling God as Esau and us and people as Jacob in this parallel, we're seeing this, this, this statement that God says too, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created the universe. He created you and everything in it. And we look around, he's like, does he need your $500 a month? What's that going to do? Talk about a drop in the bucket. He doesn't need your money. Esau's saying the same thing. He's like, I don't, I don't need your money. But that's not what it's about. Jacob insisted. He says, no. If I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me because I have found favor. And this is when it starts to correct. He says, what a relief it is to see your friendly smile. What a relief it is to see your friendly smile. He says, it's like seeing the face of God. Wow. Goes on, he says, please take this gift. 
This is where the shift happens. He says, please take this gift I have brought to you for God has been very gracious to me and I have more than enough. So what is he giving out of now? He's not giving to get. He's giving as a response to the grace that he received because he received much in the thing that money couldn't buy. If, if, if Esau was really wrathful at the time, he still could have justifiably, justifiably slaughtered everybody there. And we would have read that story and been like, oh, I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. He got what he deserved. But instead, he extended grace to his brother. And that picture and the response that Jacob has, I think, is significant for us. Is that we are to give as a response to grace. Jacob had been deceitful. He had lied. He had cheated. He had hurt. He betrayed trust. All these horrible things. And it's easy to look at Jacob and be like, what a turkey, what a little punk. He deserves it all. And then when you look at yourself, or when I look at myself, you look at yourself, and you're like, what are those am I guilty of? In fact, we could go around this room. We could share stories where you're like, you're like Jacob would make me look like a saint. Or I've done things much worse than this. And I deserve much worse than this that I've experienced grace. So the giving that we do is a response to that grace. So Jacob insisted and Esau eventually took and it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of the generosity that Jacob gave as a response to the grace that he was given. When he didn't deserve it, that's the point of grace. He didn't do anything to earn it. In fact, you did quite the opposite of unearning it, giving all the reasons why he shouldn't extend anything to you. And I look at our own lives as Jesus people and our relationship to God, and I'm like, wow, I'm guilty of worse. We've been extended grace. Therefore, we should be generous with everything that we have. So you may ask, why the obscure text? Why take something from Genesis 33? Most of you probably haven't even heard that story before. And the point I'm trying to make with that is there's a million stories throughout scripture that I could have taken out and illustrated today. That's the point. Grace is permeated. It's woven throughout all of scripture. It's everywhere. I mean, throughout all of it, even in these obscure texts and these stories and these illustrations, like it's everywhere. I think in the same way, Grace isn't something that's just meant to affect one area of our lives. It's not just meant to affect one area of your life. It's supposed to be permeated throughout our whole life. So it's in everything that we do, every interaction we have, every decision that we make, we're doing it as a response to the grace that we've been extended. That's what it looks like to walk out life as a Jesus person, to operate in a response to grace that we did not deserve and the beautiful thing is, is that throughout Scripture, we see this. This is like the beginning of the redemption plan. This is very early on. And we see it all culminate with the person of Jesus, who was grace in himself, right? And we see this culminate with the person of Jesus and what we call the gospel, the good news about what Jesus came to do for humanity. And we see this, and I think Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, he summarizes this better than I could myself. It's beautiful what he said. He recently passed on, went on to be with the Lord, and his, his words still just uh, affect me so much. And he says this about the gospel. He said, this is the gospel, right? He says, we are more sinful 
and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. It's like, yeah, you think you're bad? You're worse. Right? I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the setup for it. It's like, yeah, because we, we, we excuse, you know, we have grace for ourselves, but not for other people. You know, we excuse our, our problems and our mistakes and we cloud them over. We're like, oh yeah, it's not so bad because you justified in your own mind and all that kind of stuff. And you know what led to it and all that kind of stuff. But he's like, no, this is the gospel. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves if we're really honest than we ever dared to believe. But this is the payoff. He says, he says yet at the very same time, we are more loved and we are more accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's grace. That's the grace that's been extended to each and every one of us. And every time I read this, it just, it just blows my mind. And then I read Romans 5, 8 in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He says, he says basically the same thing. He says, but God. And I think this is so significant. I love but God statements. Paul uses them all the time. But God, what does that mean? It means not but you. It's like you did nothing. In fact, he's like, you did quite the opposite. I did quite the opposite. He said, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die. And, and it could just stop there. I mean, that's enough, right? That's huge. That's epic. But he says he sent Christ to die when? When we almost deserved it? No. Well, we're still sinners. Well, we deserve justice. Well, we deserve, instead we got mercy. Instead we got grace. I mean, this is the good news about what Jesus did for us. This just blows my mind. This is the good news. So, in light of that, not only are we financially rich, but we are also rich in grace. And grace makes us generous. Grace makes us generous. It has to. How could we not give in response to getting that which money cannot buy? Than to respond with giving and holding nothing back. Nothing's off the table. It's not about earning. Can't do it. Can't pay that debt. Someone did it for you. I think Christians, again, we have to understand that we don't own anything. We're simply stewards of what we have. In fact, I would say it this way, that God doesn't need your money, but you need to give your money away. You need to give of your time. And you give your money those things of which we hold most dear. Not because God needs it, because we can't be holding it so close to our chests, depending on it for our source of security, our source of identity. It's never supposed to be that. It gets in the way, and oftentimes it's an idol. It's not going to save you, it's not going to fix your problems. But there's someone that does, there's someone that can. So that's why it branches, um, we be rich. We need to be rich in good deeds to be generous and to be willing to share with what we have. And so for today, the call to action is this. We're looking for, if you're a Jesus person, you're a branches person, I want to encourage you. We're looking for 100% participation with this, with this series. We're going to be doing it over the next, uh, so two more weeks after today. So through the 26th, we'll, we will be uh, collecting money we'll be collecting. Um, uh, you can also sign up. We'll be talking more about serving next week. So you can do that as well. But we're looking for 100% of participation in this. And, and, and some of you guys are like, well, where does this start? Is this like a huge amount or a little amount? I want to make it a tangible amount. Um, the, the number we've thrown around for years is this, 
That's what we want you to give. You know, I'm not even gonna ask for three easy payments of, right? I'm just going just a simple 39.95. Understanding that there's a lot of you that need to shift that decimal place to the left just because that's where you are right now. Maybe 39 cents and maybe 3.95. There's some of you that can shift that decimal point to the right a couple times, two, three, four, and not bad an eye. And maybe you today, I think, I think it's a great cause to give to. Branches is covering 100% of the credit card fees, all that kind of stuff. All of this is going to those three nonprofits. Everything that we give in the next three week, weeks labeled Be Rich is going there. Um, we're going to have a QR code at the end of the service. You can snap a picture of that or put your camera up to it. It'll link you to that directly. Uh, it'll go on your giving statements at the end of the, uh, end of the year, tax deductible, all that kind of good stuff. If you're someone who likes paper things, I don't know why, you would do that, but we still have the red boxes in the comments. You can drop those off. We check those every Sunday as well. You can drop your cash checks in there. There's also going to be a, 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 a kiosk set up where you can give. You can do the old swipe thing as well and uh, over be rich. So if you need to talk about it with your spouse uh, over the next couple of weeks, just make sure uh, you participate in this be rich, whatever amount it is. Um, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to go kick it back to the band. Lord, Thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you've done for us. God, would you help us to be generous, be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share with everything that we have, to hold nothing back because you held nothing back for us, God. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Help us to live in light of what you did for us day in and day out, in Jesus' name.